0: book nine chapters eleven through sixteen of of the love of god by st francis de sales translated by h l sidney lear this librivox recording is in the public domain book nine the love of submission by which our will is united to god's good pleasure chapter eleven The trouble of a loving heart which knows not whether it is pleasing to the beloved that musician before mentioned had no enjoyment in his music after he became deaf save that of seeing that his prince cared for it and blessed indeed is the heart which loves purely to please god without any intermingling of self-seeking yet this pleasure in pleasing god is not strictly speaking divine love but one of its fruits which may be separated as we separate a fruit from the tree which bear it even as the deaf musician who sang on incapable of himself enjoying his music and often deprived of the pleasure of actively pleasing his prince when the latter left him alone So long, my God, as I behold thy gracious countenance accepting my love, what can exceed my bliss? But when thou hidest it, and I am no longer conscious of thy acceptance, verily my soul is sore troubled. Yet none the less will I love thee still, and cease not in my song of praise, not for the pleasure which fails me, but for pure love. Of thy will. A sick child will take the nourishment it loathes to please its mother. But supposing some such child to take that food from some stranger's hand merely because its mother sent it, the love shown would be greater. Watching, toil, and hardship become easy beneath the eye of someone we greatly love for whom they are born but it is hard to slave for an unconscious or indifferent master, and in such case love must needs be strong indeed to bear on without any encouragement. So at times we have no delight in our devotional exercises, not even hearing our own voices, but rather distracted by the tumult which the enemy raises to disturb us, and his suggestions that we are unacceptable to our master our love unprofitable. At such seasons, realizing no gain to ourselves, no satisfaction to him, our toil indeed is hard. To increase the evil, it may be that the highest reasoning power of the soul fails to help, being itself overpowered and disheartened, so that even hope seems lost. Faith may promise that there will be an end to our troubles, and that rest will come. But its whispers are for the time well nigh drowned, and the soul questions whether it can ever again be happy. At such a time, nothing can help save a boundless trust in the Savior, serving Him out of love of His will not merely amid the absence of satisfaction, but amid sorrow, desolation, dryness, and fear, even as his blessed mother and St. John did during his passion, watching him on Calvary, when no ray of light or hope appeared, when on all sides, natural and spiritual, not save darkness and terror, surrounded them. Chapter 12 Amid such interior trials the soul cannot realize its own love of God or the spiritual death that self-will is undergoing. When St. Peter was on the eve of martyrdom, the angel of God came, filling his prison with light, and waking the apostle, bade him rise up and take his garments and led him without the city into freedom saint peter though perfectly awake did not suppose that what the angel did was real but thought he saw a vision he was awake but did not know himself to be so he had put on his garments without knowing it he was delivered and did not believe it and that because the deliverance was so marvelous that it absorbed his mind to the point of making him unable to realize the verity of all he did. And while he clearly saw the angel, he took him for a vision, and therefore he was unable to derive any joy from his deliverance, until at last he came to himself, and burst forth with the cry, Now I know of a surety, THAT THE LORD HATH SENT HIS ANGEL, AND HATH DELIVERED ME. ACTS CHAPTER twelve. Now the case of a soul heavily burdened with inward trouble is somewhat parallel. For while fully able to believe, hope in, and love God, and practically doing so, it is not uncommonly too feeble to perceive that it is so. Trouble so possesses the soul that it is unable to investigate its own condition, and it imagines itself the victim of mere phantom virtues, instead of the abiding realities. Any violent passion is apt to produce this effect, and when subject to it, men act as though in a dream, and cannot believe that their surroundings are real and tangible. Thus the psalmist describes the overflowing delight of the Jews on their return from the Babylonish captivity by saying, Then were we, like unto them that dream, or, as it is in the Vulgate, as consoled. Psalm 126, verse 1. They were so overwhelmed by the greatness of the deliverance that they could not believe it to be more than a dream so the soul which is distraught by spiritual trials experiences a very pure unalloyed love for being deprived of all joy in its union with god it is bound to him in heart and will without any intervening circumstances the poor suffering soul looks around and believing itself to be loveless feels forsaken There are no signs of love visible to it in outer things, and the imagination and reason are harassed by endless vague fears. Then the soul seeks for divine love in its higher mental region, and though verily love is there, it is so veiled amid darkness and sadness that the seeker perceives it not, or rather beholds without realizing like unto them that dream. It was in such a mental phase that Magdalene, meeting her Lord in the garden after his resurrection, knew him not, but supposed him to be the gardener. What can the soul do when in such straits? Nothing save give itself up unreservedly into God's hands, even as our dear Lord, Who having drained the bitter cup set before him to the dregs, cried out, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. His last crowning token of boundless love of the Father. So when all things fail us, and our troubles have reached their climax, we must take refuge in this thorough resignation of self into his hands who can never fail. The son commended his spirit into the father's hands, and we, prostrate and unable to bear up any longer against our manifold spiritual trials, can but commend our spirit into his hands, who is indeed our father, and bowing the head in absolute submission to his good pleasure, resign our will wholly to his chapter thirteen the will once dead to self lives solely in god's will the french language uses a specially significant word in speaking of death and the dead tres pas, tres thereby indicating that death is but a passage from one life to the other and that death is but overstepping the limits of this mortal life into that of immortality. The will can no more die than the soul, but it can overstep the ordinary trammels of this life and live solely in God's will. And this it does when ceasing to will anything. It gives itself up unreservedly to God's divine providence, so mingling with his will and pleasure that it ceases altogether to appear and is hidden with Jesus Christ in God, so that it lives no more, but God's will lives in it. What becomes of the star's light at sunrise? Assuredly it is not extinguished, but rather absorbed and overpowered by that all-powerful sunlight in which it is lost. Even so man's will, when wholly given up to God, it is not extinguished, but so plunged and lost in God's will that it is no more seen and has no existence apart from him. Had St. Louis's devoted queen been asked when following him to the east whither she went, doubtless she would have replied, Whither the king goes? And were further inquiries made, she would have answered, I care not so long as I am with him. HAVE YOU NO PERSONAL AIM IN THE JOURNEY? NONE SAVE TO BE WITH HIM, EGYPT, PALESTINE, ALL ARE LIKE TO ME, IF I MAY BUT REJOICE IN HIS PRESENCE. IT IS NOT I THAT GO, I DO BUT FOLLOW. THE SERVANT IN ATTENDANCE UPON HIS MASTER WOULD NOT SAY THAT HE WAS GOING HITHER OR THITHER, BUT MERELY THAT HE FOLLOWED HIS MASTER. For he goes nowhere after his own, but according to his master's will. And so the will which is truly given up to God has no individuality, but only follows his will. A man in a ship moves onward, not of his own spontaneous motion, but borne on by the movement of the vessel. And so the heart which has given itself up to God's good pleasure. Is content to be carried along in that stream without any independent action. And then the heart ceases even to say, Thy will, not mine, be done, for there is no more will to resign, but it says, Lord, I commit my will into thy hands, implying that the very will is no longer an independent existence, but is merged in God's providence herein we perceive that the simile of a servant following his master fails for although the journey is undertaken according to the master's will his servants exercise their own will albeit a subject will in following him so that as master and servant are two so there are two wills concerned but the will which is dead to itself to live in god becomes altogether transmuted and absorbed in his will, like a child which has developed no power of choice or desire beyond its mother's breast, and which makes no effort to adapt itself to her will, because it is part and parcel of her, and is unconscious of any will apart from hers, on which it depends wholly. The highest perfection to which any human will can attain is to be thus united to the will of one sovereign good, like the saint who said, Thou, Lord, hast led me in thy will, as though he said that he had not exercised his own will in the way he went, but had simply given himself up to God's guidance. Chapter 14 the death of the will we can easily believe that our lady rejoiced so greatly in bearing the divine babe in her arms that she either felt no weariness or else took pleasure therein for if the traveller who bears a branch of the agnes castus tree knows no weariness how must it have been with her who bore the very lamb of god himself and surely if as the babe grew she sometimes suffered him to walk leading his tottering steps it was not but that she loved better to bear him in her arms though she sought to train him to walk and go alone and so we like babes as we are of our heavenly father go beside him in two ways first using our own will in conformity with his, holding his hand by obedience to his heavenly designs, and following him wheresoever he signifies it to be his will that we go. Thus God has signified it to be his will that I sanctify his day of rest. In that he wills this. He also wills that I should wish to do it, and for that, I must exercise my own will in conformity with his. But there is a second way by which we go with our Lord without any will of our own, merely letting ourselves be carried, like a babe in its mother's arms, by a certain happy consent which may be called union, or more properly, unity of our will with God's. And this manner of conformity to the will of God is specially acceptable to him, because the results of that will proceed purely from his providence, and we have no power over them. We can certainly desire that all things may happen according to his will, and the desire is a good one. But we can also accept the results of his heavenly will and pleasure in the simple tranquility of an unquestioning will, which, laying aside all voluntary action, is content to acquiesce in whatever God chooses to do in or with us. Had the holy infant Jesus been asked as his mother bore him whither he went, would he not have said, i go nowhere my mother bears me and i go whither she goes and had it been rejoined but at all events gracious babe is it thy will to be born thus by thy mother he might have answered nay i exercise no will i leave it to her to come and go as she pleases i move with her movements and will with her will I HAVE NO VOLITION BEYOND THAT OF CLEAVING TO HER BREAST, AS A FRUIT HANGS FROM THE TREE. BLESSED IS THE WOMB THAT BORE THEE, O HOLY CHILD JESUS, AND THE PAPS WHICH THOU hast SUCKED. OUR BLESSED LORD HAD FULL EXERCISE OF HIS REASONING POWERS FROM THE MOMENT OF HIS CONCEPTION, AS HAD ST. JOHN BAPTIST FROM THE DAY OF THE VISITATION, Yet although capable of willing for themselves, both the Redeemer and the Baptist submitted their wills in infancy to their parents and gave themselves up to their care. This is what we ought to do, striving to be as wax in God's hand, not trifling away our time in wishes and desires, but leaving all to God, to do as seemeth him good casting all our care upon him, for he careth for us. All our care, both as to such matters as do not depend upon us, and as to things which we have power to will or not to will. For he will watch over all that concerns us, and do whatever is best. Be it ours to bless God for whatever he does, saying with Job, The Lord hath given, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, I will wish for naught. I will leave all to thee, and bless thee because of thy gracious will. There is no exercise of will so safe as when we will to have no will save God's good pleasure, and to praise and bless him for whatever it works in and for us. Chapter 15 The Best Course We Can Take Amid the Interior and Exterior Troubles of Life When the Will is Dead to Self Unquestionably, it is a most pious mental attitude to bless and thank God for all that his providence may ordain. But if, while leaving God to will and do whatever he pleases in us, we— indifferent to all surroundings could devote our whole heart and mind to his boundless goodness and mercy blessing them not merely in their appointed results but intrinsically this would assuredly be a higher spiritual exercise during the siege of rhodes a certain painter named protogenes who dwelt in the suburbs continued to work so calmly and uninterruptedly that even while his life seemed hanging on a thread, he completed a chef-d'oeuvre representing a satyr playing on the flute, happy those souls who come what may cleave with undivided trust and love to God's eternal goodness. The daughter of a famous physician fell ill, and amid her fever told her friends that she asked nothing save to leave all care for her treatment to her father, without anxiety, as to her recovery, having an unbounded trust in his affection and his skill. So she laid passive in his hands, and who but must feel that such confidence was the surest proof of her love? MINE EYES ARE EVER LOOKING INTO THE LORD, FOR HE SHALL PLUCK MY FEET OUT OF THE NET. Psalm 25, verse 14. HAST THOU FALLEN INTO THE NET OF ADVERSITY? LOOK NOT UPON THE PERIL, BUT LOOK TO HIM WHO WILL DEFEND THEE. CAST THY BURDEN UPON THE LORD, AND HE SHALL NOURISH THEE. Psalm 55, verse 23. Wherefore shouldest thou trouble over the changes and chances of this world, since thou knowest not what it were best to desire, whereas God will not fail to send that which is fittest for thee without any intervention of thine. Wait calmly upon him, and let his ever-blessed will be sufficient for thee. It was said to St. Catherine of Siena, Think thou of me, and I will think for thee. It is difficult precisely to define the absolute indifference of the human will when once it is thus buried in God's will. We can scarcely say that it acquiesces in that will, because acquiescence is a voluntary act of consent on the soul's part. Neither can we say that it accepts or receives God's will because acceptance and reception are, so to say, passive actions by which we take and embrace that which is sent. Neither can we say that it permits God's will, for permission is an exercise of will, although it may be of a passive kind, which does nothing itself but yields to what may happen. The most correct definition of an indifferent will is perhaps to say that it is in a state of simple universal expectation the rather that the attitude of waiting implies no action but merely a disposition to receive whatever is sent but this disposition though passive is altogether voluntary when the events god appoints have occurred expectation becomes consent or acquiescence but beforehand it is simply waiting upon god indifferent to whatever it may please him to ordain the prophet isaiah speaking in our lord's name describes the perfection of a human will as submitted to that of god in the words the lord god hath opened mine ear that is hath made known to me the sufferings he wills me to bear. And I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 5 What is meant by not turning back, but a state of simple expectation, ready for whatever God may appoint, even as he goes on to say, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. So again, when our blessed Lord had offered his prayer of total resignation in the garden of olives, and had given himself up into the hands of his enemies, he further gave up his soul and his will to his father by perfect indifference. For although that we might realize the intense bitterness of his anguish, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was in no degree inconsistent with the holy indifference which he displayed a few brief moments later in the solemn words, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Chapter 16. The Perfect Self-Renunciation of the Soul, Which is United to God's Will let us dwell awhile upon our dear lord before pilate where for love of us he suffered the soldiers to strip and scourge him think upon his death his glorious resurrection and his reappearance for man's salvation and god's glory it was love which worked all this and even so when love takes possession of a soul It strips that soul of all earthly longings and self-conceit, which cling as closely to our mental being as the skin to the bodily frame, till at length it is despoiled, even as to the most lawful affections, such as spiritual consolation, or that delight which the devout soul naturally takes in religious exercises and the perfection of virtue. THEN INDEED THE SOUL IS PREPARED TO SAY, I HAVE PUT OFF MY COAT, HOW SHALL I PUT IT ON? I HAVE WASHED MY FEET, HOW SHALL I DEFILE THEM? CANTICLE CHAPTER 5 VERSE 3 NAKED CAME I OUT OF MY MOTHER'S WOMB, AND NAKED SHALL I RETURN THITHER. THE LORD GAVE ME MANY HOLY DESIRES, THE LORD HAS TAKEN THEM AWAY, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yes, verily, that same Lord, who in our first beginnings taught us to long after all that is virtuous, and to practice it, he himself later on deprives us of those very longings, in order that we may more calmly and simply cleave to naught save his own good pleasure like as judith had all her festal garments laid by never wearing them during her widowhood till such time as god sent her forth to overcome holofernes so the christian soul may be in possession of spiritual exercises and virtues which it has no right to practice unless god calls them forth and as judith always wore her mourning habit save on the one solemn occasion when God bade her resume her gorgeous attire, so it beseems us to abide meekly in the humiliation of our imperfections and weakness till such time as it may please him to call us to the performance of some great thing. But since it is not possible to remain long despoiled of all affections, St. Paul bids us put on the new man jesus christ for having renounced all even holy desires and thoughts while god wills it we must put on new affections which practically are but the same only renewed in their nature and character inasmuch as they now have reference solely to god not to ourselves when eleazar went forth to seek the bride god had prepared for his master's son he took all manner of new raiment and ornaments for her and so nothing old beseems the bride of christ the soul which has stripped itself of all old ties forgetting its own people and its father's house for him must take new ties no longer according to earthly considerations but because the heavenly bridegroom has willed it so having laid aside the old clinging to spiritual consolations to devout practices to the exercise of virtues even to progress in spiritual perfection the soul must needs be clothed with new affections no longer caring for all these graces and heavenly favors because they are an adornment and perfecting of self, but because thereby our Lord's name is sanctified, his kingdom increased, and his will glorified. Thus it was that St. Peter put on his garments in the prison, not by his own choice, but at the angel's bidding his girdle his sandals and the rest of his raiment thus saint paul exclaimed lord what will thou have me to do acts chapter nine verse six that is to what shall i cleave seeing thou hast put to death my own will lord let thy good pleasure take its place teach me to do the thing that pleaseth thee for thou art my god psalm 143 verse 10 surely he who has left all for god ought to take nothing back save at god's bidding he will but cherish his body that his soul may better serve god he will seek only to promote the good of his neighbour and of his own soul he will strive even to do right not because he likes so to do but because it is God's wish. The prophet Isaiah was bidden of God to go naked and barefoot, and he did so for a certain time, at the end of which, equally at God's bidding, he resumed his garments. Just so it behooves us to lay aside all affections, great and small, frequently examining our heart, whether it be ready, like the prophet, to strip off all its raiment, and then again to take them up when charity commands, so that, having hung naked on the cross with Christ, we may rise to the new life with him. Love is strong as death, to make us leave all. It is glorious as the resurrection, to clothe us with glory and honor. End of Book 9, Chapter 16